Are you ready to tap in to your power within so that your business can reach its truest potential? Hi, I'm Candace Haza, and I help business entrepreneurs access their inner GPS so that their business can grow and thrive. You are here to serve and to create an impact in this world. Welcome to the Intuitive Business Podcast. Today, I'm really super, super excited to have Hallie Evelyn on the podcast today. So let me introduce her and then we're going to get started because there's a lot of juicy questions that I have for her. So welcome, welcome, Hallie. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. She has been featured in Time Magazine, Good Morning America and USA Today. And if that wasn't enough, she's also been on the Huffington Post. Hallie Evelyn has helped over 1,500 clients break through lifelong traumas and powerfully co-create a masterpiece of their lives. Maybe that's, there's something in there just for you. She's an author, a spiritual tour leader, and a business strategist. Hallie guides clients on powerful journeys of self-discovery. She provides the clarity, support, and strategy they need to confidently step in to their highest expression of themselves. In addition to her private clients, Hallie is currently a mindset coach for several high-level business coaching programs. Her forthcoming show, Your Goddess Awakened is available on YouTube and podcast platforms everywhere. Discover more about Hallie's work and impact at www.hallieevelyn.com. And we're going to go through that in details at the very end. So hold on to that thought. There's also a little part of this that I wanted to lean into gently and with grace and She also says that she was an atheist and on her first trip to Egypt, her entire life transformed into a single moment. And so we're going to talk a little bit about her spiritual awakening. So welcome, welcome, welcome. And thank you for being on the Intuitive Business Podcast. So happy to be here, Candice. Thank you. Let's lean in a little bit about the atheist experience in Egypt and the spiritual transformation that happened. That sounds like a really incredible moment in your life. So can you share that with us? Uh, Yes, absolutely. I'd love to. We were traveling, my ex and I, we were on this vacation of like, I'm used to, I mean, I've been running businesses since I was in my early twenties and I was in the software business and I was like working a hundred hours a week. And I was like, you know, vacation, Egypt. Yeah, sure. But I really couldn't have cared less that it was Egypt. I had forgotten about like my penchant for Egyptian mythology when I was like six years old. So I got on the plane and I got to Egypt and I was traveling through Egypt and just doing all of this really powerful work and, you know, kind of exploring myself and exploring my inner, I don't know, my inner awarenesses, but really for the first time, like I was not what I would call awake at that point. And uh, right in the middle of this trip, I was doing a guided meditation and I heard that I had a soul and I would never die, like right in the middle of this meditation. It was like I got it on my cells all at the same time. And so all of a sudden, literally the light bulb moment for me was, oh, I have this continuum. And in this moment, it healed my panic attacks around death that I'd been having since I was 10 when my father told me that when you die, you go in the ground and the worms eat you because he thought he was being helpful and he didn't want to lie to me, right? That's so, this is his belief system. Yeah, it like changed everything for me in one moment. I stopped having the panic attacks, which I'd had like literally like 25 years at that point. And I just started what led to this path, this path of doing spiritual work and, and you know, helping people wake up. It's been really profound. And I would love to say that it happened in the King's chamber of the great pyramid as I like lay in the coffer, but no, no, it happened in the dining room on the cruise ship. So you never know. Yes. I was sailing the Nile, but like, you know, also having my dinner. And so it's just funny because you never know like when enlightenment is going to hit it. It it comes whenever it chooses and not whenever you choose it. 
So it chooses you instead of the opportunity that like, if we're sitting, you know, in, like you said, the King's chamber and you're just doing a deep dive meditation, you're like hoping upon hope for something to transition that not might not be the way it happens. It might be on the cruise ship, right? Failing the Nile. Yep. And you know, when it happened, it was so powerful and so much energy moved through me and I burst into tears at the table and just like, I mean, I was so overwhelmed by what happened in that moment. But a few minutes later, I went to go up the steps from the downstairs where we were to tell my sweetie what had happened. And I slipped on the stairs and I looked down to see what I had slipped on. And I had slipped in my shoes. And that was when I realized that I was pouring sweat from my hands and from my feet because all that energy moving through you changes your body temperature, you know, poor. But so, I mean, I had just like, I was just like, I was just wet everywhere. It was amazing. And that was another like, aha, that yes, this had actually happened because of course, after it happens, you're like, did it happen? Did I make this up? Are you sure? You know? So I always tell people like when they're in their spiritual experiences to just really use your discernment because you are your own best guidance as to whether the thing was real or not. And when it happens to you, something like that happens to you. Nobody can take that away from you. No one. It's just what happened. So I want to go over this a little bit. This is the intuitive business podcast. So I want to talk a little bit about unpack what you just said, because that was a lot of really good information. So one of the things that I talk about is how you are leaning into your intuition. And would you say that there was an absolute to the core essence of your being knowingness that something had transformed in your body? Not just that it had transformed what transformed was also very clear to me in that moment. I simply felt like I knew God. And a moment earlier, you couldn't have logicked me into God. In after that moment, you could no longer logic me out of God. And I'm a very logical person. So what I describe it as, you know, I mean, this happened 20 years ago. I talk about this a lot because it's so powerful. It's to this moment, like the most powerful thing that's ever happened to me. And I've had amazing, incredible spiritual moments all over the place. But this was like, took the cake. I would love to have even one more of these moments in my lifetime. And it was like, I was standing in a dark room going, I can't turn the lights on. And then after this moment, I was standing in a fully lit up room and I was never able to turn the lights off again. That's how profound that moment was. Let's let the listeners breathe into that for a moment. Where I was going with this, and I didn't expect such a beautiful, profound, even further explanation of this, But one of the things I see in intuition with this knowingness is that people that are very logical have that as their primary clair, meaning that they know things and they know them to their core. Like you said, the lights went on and there was no way that I can convince you logically now to turn those lights off again. Mm -hmm. And that's Mm -hmm. what I see in intuitive people is that clair, the knowingness is usually defined for very more logical minds, but once they know it to their core, they know it. And that's what I'm hearing you say. Yeah. However, I think it's important to point out that for me, and I do have that particular, the clairvoyance of the the knowing, like I have clairaudience, I have clairvoyance and clairsentience, and mostly I have clairsentience. Like I'll hear stuff, but what happens for me is like when I'm working with clients, like words will pop or I'll get images in my mind that will dance, that will tell me, oh, that we got to go drill down or I'll hear something and it'll be like, I'm re- it's reverberating. So that helps me help my clients immediately, right? But the clairsentience, that knowing is more like, I just can feel in that moment that the thing is, and it is 99%, 99.9% of the time, much, much, much more subtle than that moment of my life. And in fact, if I were waiting for that knowing to settle on me, the way that I have a soul and I will never die settled on me, I would never feel that I'd had another clairvoyant moment or clairsentient moment in my existence because nothing hit me like that ton of bricks 
as much. And in fact, I've seen, I've noticed, I have a whole system for getting clients using LinkedIn, uh, which is a business topic that we will not be touching on today, I'm sure. But I also get notifications when people respond. And when those notifications come in, if I see it, which is rare, and if I act on it in that moment, usually that person becomes my client. Isn't that weird? No, it's not weird not at all, this, right? No. <laughs> not in right? this podcast. <laughs> yes. I call that goosebumps up moment. <laughs> uh-huh, yes. So the intuition part of it is just the opportunity to recognize that the subtlety is where all of this stuff is unfolded, right? That's what's so cool. Not the big ahas, because I would not have considered myself anything like an intuitive or a spiritual person, let alone a healer in those days. And yet it still happens, right? I remember the second time I went back to Egypt, I was like, okay, it's all going to happen again. This time, oh, I can't wait for the big... And there was nothing big on the whole trip. It was all subtle and super like low key in comparison. And I almost went home disappointed on my second trip, which I was leading, by the way, or co-leading that trip, right? Well, now 28 trips later, I can say sometimes it's big, sometimes it's little, doesn't matter. What matters is that you listened, right? That's what's important. I'm 100% in support of what matters is that you listen, that you pay attention to your intuition, which you obviously have done. So you're moving gently in already to the next question, which is trips. You call yourself a global spiritual tour leader. And so I want to talk a little bit about that because a lot of the women that listen to this podcast are usually high performing and they love to travel. So I'm sure they'll be like, Ooh, Tell me more. more. (laughs) Well, I call myself a global spiritual tour leader because I lead trips around the world to sacred sites and to power centers around the world. But the idea behind the trips is just how can I help you wake up? And then how can I help get you to the highest level possible? And sometimes to go to that 65,000 foot level, i.e. you're 3,000 miles away from home, you don't have all the stuff you normally have around you, including your obligations, including your family, including your day-to-day, allows you to see at a level that you wouldn't normally be able to see. Now, I started coaching on these tours because I was leading Eat, Pray, Love tours to Bali with people coming from all over the world. And I did about 10 of those. And women would show up on the trip and they would be like, hi, my husband shot himself in the next room. Uh, Hi, my husband and I broke up after... Uh, He had a terrible affair, but somehow 10 years later, I still feel like it's my fault. Uh, Hi, my child died of a drug overdose. I mean, honestly, these people would come and just drop these things that were horrific or so traumatic and they were carrying that burden. And then they were like, I got a week. Can we do what Liz Gilbert did and fix it? Well, she took a year to fix it. But I was like, let me unpack my tools from my toolkit of like my own work and let's see what we can do. And people were shifting. It was fast and powerful. And that was amazing. And that's what led to me starting to coach. I have two questions because I'm sure the listeners are going to be really intrigued. Can you walk us through a specific situation that you help somebody with and the tools that, that you were able to use in that moment? And then they're shift. I can't because I cannot remember that was like, I mean, I've been coaching full time for six years and that, that work started seven years before that. So you're asking me to like, you know, remember my earliest (laughs) tools. I can remember them in general, but I can't walk you through what I did in that instance. What I will say is that I used to use the Sedona method a lot. So you can go to SedonaMethod.com and just see that it's a basic method of three questions and also the concept of welcoming the feelings in. So I definitely use the Sedona method. I used to use tapping as a way to set the thing, not the tapping algorithms to clear for thought field therapy, but rather the setting tapping. When I was finished, it was like one of the first things spirit ever said to me is like, okay, we're going to set this. We're going to lock it in. Now I use totally different methods, but that was definitely what I was. Those were some of my earliest methods. 
a lot of my stuff is just downloaded. So there was something, there was definitely inner child work, reparenting work, forgiveness work, and all of the processes for those were specifically downloaded. So I can't tell you the thing you'd have to like go through and experience it. What I can tell you is it's always been fast, deep, and permanent, which has been such a gift because, you know, to have people like really walk away cleared of the thing. One of the most profound experiences that I remember was a woman who came to me who's much younger than our normal clients. I I normally, like for my coaching and also for my trips, I tend to work with women over 40, but this particular woman, I don't think she was maybe in her early 30s at the time, and she was suicidal, and I didn't know it until she got on the trip. She was very brash and very sure of herself. That's how she came off, but underneath, she was in absolute agony. It turned out she had a split personality. I mean, like there were four or five versions of her inside of her. And I hypnotized her, brought, which by the way, I also like, I was never trained to hypnotize, but I had other people hypnotize me. And once that happened, like it got downloaded how to do it. And so I could just do it. And that tends to be most of my intuitive healing stuff. It's just like, once I see it, then I can do it. So I hypnotized her there were two personalities that were not healthy and we simply integrated them. And again, I mean, spirit did this. I haven't even talked about this in probably the 10 or more years since it happened, but it's all like coming back right now to say that those two personalities that were not supporting her, we integrated them into the other personalities and then, and we supported them. We gave them help so that they didn't need to cry for help anymore, which is, really personality wise or otherwise the trauma that occurs the the experience that occurs it needs to be acknowledged and what happens is because it causes us pain we don't not only don't acknowledge it we reject it we're busy saying stop or go away to those pieces of us we don't like and the Sedona method was the first thing that showed me whatever it is good bad or indifferent you've got to make it feel welcome In this case, once the personalities were welcomed, they were willing to go away because they were really just there to protect her in the first place. And so she left that session and that trip not suicidal anymore. And she credits me for saving her life. I mean, if you ask her, she will tell you today. But her path changed in that moment. We get to these whys, the second to the last letter of the alphabet, like you get to this crossroad and where your path is diverging. And you want to take the one less traveled, right? Thank you, Robert Frost. And that's why, because the path that would make sense to travel is often the one that isn't in your highest and best good. You want to take the one that's going to lead you in a different direction so that you can wake up or get to that next level of your business or have that big growth, have that big arc that you desire. Wow. That sounds like it was a really incredible experience for both the woman and for you to help her to heal. So we're talking about traveling right now. And we're talking about the Eat, Pray, Love Bali trip, right? Because that happened on a Bali trip, I'm assuming. I want to ask, this is kind of off the, <laughs> off the beaten path, but I wanted to go to Bali this past March. And of course, Bali is closed right now. And it was for a special birthday of mine. And so I just want to lean into Bali for a moment (laughs) because my heart is still like, you know, having a little pitter patter for Bali. Tell us a little bit about the tour, like the eat, pray, love tour. Like how did you do the tour part? I want to talk about the travel. And then I also want to get to the porch of that special man. So Ketutlier has uh, passed into his next thing, but for years, I, I like to say I got to sit on his porch, front porch, just a little less than Liz Gilbert did. Cause I took all of my groups there, but what we did was we recreated the eat part of the trip. We'd have like a welcome dinner in Italy And then we make sure everybody had amazing food the rest of the time. So we'd take people to an amazing Italian restaurant the first night. And then the pray part, because she did the India piece, we would take people and teach them how to pray like the Balinese. Balinese have an incredible approach to prayer. It's very feminine. Like the Muslims, they pray multiple times a day. But the Balinese Hinduism is the spirituality of the island, which is not Hinduism. It is its own version. And it mixes like animal shamanism 
mixes regular Hinduism, it mixes ancestor worship, it's got like all of these different aspects of it, and it's just all layered in. So the Balinese prayer is extremely feminine. And when you pray, you tuck flowers behind your ear, you put these grains of rice on your forehead, the priest comes along, the padanda comes along and puts the grains of rice on your forehead and the grains of rice on your temples. And these are the seeds of God. And throughout the day, as the grains of rice dry and fall off of your face, it feels as you are reminded of God in every one of those moments because the seeds of God are falling. It's just stunning. And the prayer is five steps, four times a day, five steps on your knees, and you're wearing a specific costume, you know, a white shirt and a, a colored sash, which divides the higher chakras from the lower chakras and a, a sarong, a, a beautifully colored sarong. I have like an entire like collection of these, war, you know, wardrobe pieces, but you put your hands together and the men wear a headdress, but the women do not, but you put your hands together and then you pray with empty hands and then you pick up the flower and you pray with the flower stuck out of the tips of your fingers. And then you throw the flower away. And by the time you get finished with the prayer, the whole ground in front of you is just littered with all of these beautiful flowers. And then the priest comes along and, and bedecks your throat and your temples and your the center, your third eye with the seeds of God, the grains of, of the uncooked rice. It's just beautiful. And there's incense and they're ringing the bells. And it's, it's just, it's just fascinating. Katut was a high level priest so a padanda, but, but also he was a Balinese shaman. So he supposedly is channeling all of this information, but he didn't always channel, I believe, the truth, right? He channeled, I mean, I, I sat through hundreds of interviews with him and he said the same thing to everybody. And it's even in Eat, Pray, Love, you know, your <laughs> lips sweet as sugar. He would tell everybody that. So what he told Liz that caused her to come back and all, I believe was his, was inspiration. But, but no matter whether I asked him to speak in Balinese and then speak through a translator or speak directly in English, because his English was decent enough, it was always the same thing. He would say the same thing. Only one day he said something new. He said to this woman, he turned her around and he was feeling her back, which he hadn't done before. And he's feeling her back and he gets this grin on his face. And the man had like three teeth and he would like just, and he would always say, you would say, Kitut, let me take a picture of you. And he would say, no, no, very ugly, very ugly. Because he just felt like he'd had this toothless smile. But of course you loved him. I mean, he was between, you know, 80 and 110. And he literally did not know when his birthday was or how old he was. He didn't know any of those things. So, so he turns the lady around and then he looks at us, he's big, big toothless grin. And he says, oh, my dick, my dick good for you. And we're like, what? And he says, my dick, my dick very good for you. And I'm like, oh my God, we are so getting sued and we are not going to be able to bring anyone ever, ever again to this man's porch because clearly it's fine. One too many times. I just, oh my God, he's talking about his dick. What are we going to do? <laughs> and my partner, who was normally like, you know, the Katut translator, is like, we're all looking horrified, and not to mention the lady and her back is like, ah! and all of a sudden my partner gets this horrified look on his face and then breaks into a grin and then goes, magic! magic very good for you and Kutut goes yes my dick very good for you and we were like oh thank goodness okay oh yeah magic very good for you oh, it was the most hysterical thing that ever happened on that porch but I loved every minute of it so there you go yeah oh my god my face is hurting like from laughing so hard so magic is nothing like Katut's my dick. <laughs> no, his, but he was saying like the, he used to, then after that, he started adding that in. So he would tell people about the flowers that he could see on their, on their back. So he could see the plumeria in, in Bali is called frangipani. And he would say frangipani, my dick. And so that's what he was saying is like the frangipani magic was good for you. And you had strong magic 
So it was beautiful. Just, I mean, the intention there, of course, was it was just art. Ah, filthy Western minds that got in the way. (laughs) Well, I could kind of understand that. (laughs) So I know you couldn't go to Bali, but maybe you'll think about going on my next Egypt tour because I have to tell you, this is the first time I'm talking about this out loud, but I'm going to be leading um, the Egypt Awakening Tour in the balancing the sacred divine masculine and feminine that's the subtitle of the store i'm doing that one in october we, we can't get into bali until early next year but and i've already got like a group of 75 people going then but i can do egypt now and so i'm headed back to egypt for i think it is my like my 28th or 29th tour now egypt is like the masculine to bali's feminine but the ancient egyptian And I mean, I'm talking like Pharaonic Egypt, like, you know, 3000 to 5000 years ago, and not to mention the Sphinx and the Great Pyramid, which I believe the physical evidence shows are much older and come from, you know, prior civilizations, which is a whole other conversation, but that I have with people in Egypt so they can decide for themselves. There is so much feminine energy in the temples of Egypt. And of course, the mother goddess Isis. I mean, there's very little goddess energy that's older than Isis. And a lot of the a lot of the gods in Greek gods and Roman gods and the Christian gods all came down from these earlier concepts. So it's it's there's some really powerful stuff there. That sounded really cool. What I liked that you said was like Bali has the feminine and Egypt has the masculine. But the ancient energy in Egypt, I mean, Egypt is the most patriarchal place. But the, it, you know, we, I had a group of women come a couple of years ago. Now this trip is going to be men and women. And I, I've got couples who are saying they're coming. And so there will definitely be some, uh, that energy will be more balanced. But on a, a group where I brought all women, I, I work with my guides, there are men. And I, I have one woman guide, but for the most part, they're men. And I had are you taken talking spiritual guides or pe- physical people. They are spiritual guides who are Egyptologists. So they understand the spirituality of Egypt. They understand they have art, they have uh, Egyptology degrees, but they are very much human beings. They're the ones who coordinate and then also introduce the Egyptian history and religions. And so that everyone understands that that experience. But they also, because they have spiritual backgrounds, they understand the concepts, for example, of the age of the Sphinx or the Great Pyramid. So they're not buying into, you know, the current Egyptology. And the guy that I that I normally co-lead with is like my Egyptian brother. He had so much to do with healing the masculine, the wounded masculine of some of these women who had had fathers that abandoned them or or boyfriends or husbands who had beaten them or brothers who were horrible to them. And many of these women saw a new way of a man treating them, a way where the man could be in fully in his masculine and yet serving the woman in her feminine. And that was something that, that once you see that, once you have that experience, you can heal from the bad experiences that you've had prior. So there's, there is a whole, uh, Egypt is just fascinating to me because there's this whole balancing act that happens. That sounds really lovely. And some people might be kind of having a drool moment (laughs) over the fact that, you know, there's travel right now, you know, talking about travel is just very luscious, I believe. I agree. So I'm going to lean into to just a little bit of a different subject, but possibly not, is I wanted to lean into a little bit about, you talk about manifesting. So we've talked about awakening in Egypt and Bali and beautiful things already. So let's talk about manifesting the things that we want in our lives. For me, I learned to manifest over a very long period of time. And also through a lot of struggle. And if you're struggling, if you're listening to this or watching this and you're struggling, understand that you're in your own way and there's nothing wrong other than that. Because what I hear from a lot of clients these days is, and I was this person, so I completely respect and understand it. I hear, 
what's wrong with me. And the truth is, and this is like so simple that it almost is impossible to believe. If you believe you have a block, you have a block. If you don't believe you have a block, the block will dissolve instantly. So the story that you have that you're telling yourself that says you can't manifest is why you can't manifest. And the reason I know this is that I was like, I would sit with people all the time and I would be like, just like check the Akashic for me because I could not like, you know, people were constantly, it was almost like the filing cap that they're going through and they're like, oh, we found your file and nope, there's nothing here. We don't know what's going on. But I was in my own way. I didn't have the belief that I could manifest money. So I couldn't, I didn't have the belief that I was capable of manifesting anything that I desired. So I couldn't. And what healed it for me was what I call transference and transference is what are you good at? Where do you have luck? Where are, where are you fully guided? Cause there's some area of your life. And for me, it was my parking karma. I was like, snowy Christmas Eve at one hour before the malls close. I'm next to the handicap spot right in front. It's every time like I'm, I will drive in and pull, they'll be pulling out as I'm pulling in. Parking karma was perfect. When I started realizing that and started seeing it as a pattern, then I was like, I claimed it. And then after that, boy, I could have that parking karma all day long. So what I did was I went, ah, my parking karma is my money karma. Because what happens is people get confused, right? They think that you've got this bucket over here with the money thing in it and all the other energy over here. And the truth is there's only one bucket. And the real truth is ain't no bucket, right? There is no bucket, period, the end, right? I feel this inside of me, what you're saying. Like I, and I work with clients like this all day long. Like it's, it's just, it's the belief that is the manifestation. And I think that's what you're saying. Once you get past that, once you're okay with, okay, I can have that transference. So my parking karma can become my money karma. You are erasing the buckets, right? Which is ideal because energy is just energy, right? And any energy is just energy. And we give special treatment. We tell the story about the money energy being different from the regular energy. But that again is our limiting belief, our story. Okay. So that's the first thing is you got to clear out the pieces of this where you're in your own way. And then after that manifesting, I sang for 10 years in the agape choir. And I actually sing in all the temples because that energetically like wakes up stones. So it's like profoundly amazing to get to do this. So while I'm singing in the Agape Choir, I also started studying the principles of science of mind, which has a five-step approach to prayer. You acknowledge that God is everything everywhere. God is all there is. Then you acknowledge that if God is all there is, you are one and the same with that. And so now you are also God, right? Which is, that's a concept you can take you years to figure out. But once you get that God is everything everywhere, then that therefore must be that you are a part of everything everywhere. Therefore you are a part of God, which gives you the right to co-create. And then the third step is you claim the thing that you desire. And the fourth step is you give thanks as if you already had achieved it, right? As if you had already experienced it, as if you already had it. And then you release that intention and you release it. They say, I take my hands off of it. I allow it to be. Well, you can spend, as I did, years just on that step. But for me, the key, once I cleared understanding I used to literally like physically imagine birds like carrying my wish or desire off because I otherwise I was like holding on to it so tightly, like all of the steps were hard for me. But the fourth step, how do you give thanks for the thing that you've already received as if you had already received it? Is the money in my bank account? No, it's not. How can I be grateful for it? Every single time, like my logical brain was so in my own way. And now I go back and I'm like, it's okay, Hattie. you didn't understand what you were doing. And it's okay. You said, yes to baby, right? That's because I'm like, so not there anymore. But until the day you get there, it's like, you're like struggling. So this is what happened for me. I've distilled all of this down into one single step, which is you need to bring the future into the present because the future will never happen. All we have is now. 
and now, and now, and now. So by the time the future gets to us, it is the present. So the key to manifestation to me is that fourth step, giving thanks for the thing that you have already received. And the light bulb for me was uh, after church service on Sundays, you would go into the choir rehearsal space, which doubled as the children's church. And one day I walk in and somebody has drawn pictographs of all the five steps on the wall. And the fourth step shows a kid handing another kid a wrapped gift. And the kid's like, "Ah, but he can't see what's in the box. But boy, is he grateful for having received that gift. And literally, it was like the light bulb went on over my head, right? If I had, if I had been my own pictograph, you would have seen like, bing. And in that moment, I understood what it meant to give thanks because I can be grateful that I've gotten the gift before I can see what's inside of it. I'm always, oh my God, you got me a present? I don't care if you got me a box of tissues. Oh, you thought of me. That's so sweet. I can do that, right? So once I realized that I can do that, I realized what, that I, this is how to be grateful for the money before it's in your bank account. Cause you know, it's coming and you know, you're getting it. And so yay, before you can see it, yay, right? <laughs> exactly. That was what shifted for me. And that was how I changed. And that is how now when I teach manifestation, You bring the future into the present by being grateful for the gift as if you had already received it. And the way that I like to work is you see, hear, taste, touch, and smell. This is, I call this the five senses exercise. Again, this was downloaded. You see, hear, taste, touch, and smell as if it had already happened. So for example, right now, I'm touching my gifts of the goddess cards. That's one of my card decks that I love working with, right? So I'm taking the top off and I'm taking the cards out and I'm going to pull a card as if I already had the million dollars that I'm manifesting this week or the 17 clients that I'm manifesting that week. I am touching this card. I am seeing this card but I'm seeing it knowing that my million dollars is already here. What's the card that I'm getting with my million dollars already present in my life? That's my reading for today, right? Whatever. That doesn't matter. Hold on one second. I I want to do this with you. So this is a podcast. So people aren't seeing what we're doing. Hallie actually has cards in her hand. I want you to slowly say, what the deck is. And she's actually pulled a card and I kind of want to just for fun, look at it and, and see what, what just happened because well, this, she actually was doing it. This card deck is something I've used for like 20 years called the gifts of the goddess. So it's just a really cool little deck. I had bought it on Amazon. I think it's still available. I bring this deck on the trips and everyone gets to pull a card every day and they get that card for that day. They pull a card, take a picture of it, put it back in the deck. So everybody gets to pick from a full deck. So as if I were on a trip right now, I'm going to pull Candace's card for her and you all will vicariously get this. So what is the card that Candace needs to see the most today? I just wanted to say that I had my eyes closed. I was taking a deep breath in and I was inviting the energy to connect with the two of us. So go ahead and tell us what Thank we got. Thank you. So we got goddess of courage. I invent creative solutions to the challenges in my life. Use this gift when you are confronted with a situation that seems impossible to deal with. Sometimes it is better to study a problem until you understand it well and then put it out of your mind for a while. Many scientists and mathematicians have reported their inventions and creative solutions came to them in a dream or in the reverie of a daydream. Amen to that. I'll accept that mm-hmm. and honor it. And I'm just going to give thanks to it that it's already happened. And now I released it. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. I'm following well, your system. Of, How's that feel? <laughs> science of mind at, at, at its finest. Yes. So when people want to, I just want to say one more thing about manifesting. When people want to manifest something specific, the key here is to hold on loosely, right? And don't let go. Oh, sorry. As 
had 38 special in my mind all of a sudden. Um, the, the key to holding on loosely is to know the idea of this or something better, right? So let's say you want a particular job, you're a corporate consultant and you want that, you know, that company to hire you. The key here is to set the intention for this or something better, right? To, to give the universe a chance to work. Because if you just say, well, it has to be that job, there could be six other agendas involved that have nothing to do with you. And the universe wants your highest and best good. You've got to want your highest and best good too. Maybe there's somebody at that job who's going to be horrible to you. And that doesn't feel like highest and best good, but you don't know that yet until you get in there. So what you see that the opportunity is there for the big lucrative contract or for that you know, full-time work or for whatever it is that you desire. So you claim this or something better but you see it, hear it, taste it, touch it, and smell it as if it had already happened. So you're seeing it. That's how you're bringing the future into the present. You're visualizing that. And even three minutes a day of visualization, but this is why I love vision boards, which I didn't used to love. I used to be like, why am I cutting magazines out of this, these, these like cutting magazine pictures out of these booklets? This doesn't make any sense to me. This is stupid. But eventually I, I, like, I, I had a vision board a year ago that said my podcast was released on all these platforms. I just put up a picture. Well, my podcast went live this week. Finally, the Your Goddess Awakened podcast on like 17 platforms and YouTube. You type Your Goddess Awakened into your favorite podcast platform. It is showing up. And I'll, all I have is this vision because my podcast team sent me a picture of the Your Goddess Awakened symbol with arrows going in all directions, showing all the different platforms that it was on. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is almost exactly like what was on my vision board. Is that an accident? It isn't. It's you like created it visually. And then I looked at that vision board every day for a year. So of course it happened. Can I share like a manifestation of my own and how totally. beautiful this works? So I like that we're talking about manifestation right now. So one time I, I went to this polka dot powerhouse group that I'm with and we were doing vision boards. And so I was more interested in connecting with everybody. Cause I'm a big connect. Like, I love that, you know, like, Oh, connecting. Yay. And so I'm cutting things out and it's getting later and I'm, you know, not talking too much. And so there was a couple things and I grabbed something that was maybe Hawaii, maybe it was Bali. I didn't even remember what it was. And I, I glued it. I brought it home. I set the vision board in my office by my desk. I think it fell behind my desk, to be honest with you. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'll get that tomorrow. So that night I went down to dinner and my husband said, guess what? We're going to Hawaii. I said, what do you mean we're going to Hawaii? And he said, because he, he wins these sales trips like once a year and he hadn't won it. They had said that his commission hadn't been you know, it didn't hit the number or whatever. So he had already gotten a rejection that we weren't going to this Maui trip. And so I said, let me go upstairs and look at this vision board and see where I even put that we were going. And I put Maui and we were going to Maui. And wow. it was less than 24 hours from doing the vision board. Cause it was on an evening. And then the next evening, my husband said, we're going to Hawaii. And so I wasn't even focused on it, but here's the thing. Sometimes like when you said, release it, I think what I did is it wasn't like, Oh, I want to go to Maui. Oh, I'm putting all this energy. Like, Oh, please, please let me go. That's not the energy I put in. I put in, this is a cool vision board. I'm going to put it in my office and lick and stick. And there it was. Mm -hmm. And it just is amazing to me how much vision boards, how they really truly can bring things into your life very unexpectedly. Yeah. And you hit it. Absolutely. Cause I was going to bring this up as well. It's the energy of releasing it because when we hold on to it, we are also, so I call this the desire snag. We are holding on to the thing we desire. We're also holding on to the fact that we don't have it. What's the fact that we don't have it. It's lack. So it's like you literally create this experience where you cannot move 
off of where you are now, which is I want the thing and I don't have the thing because you're simultaneously creating and recreating and recreating and recreating the fact that you don't have it and that you want it. And the very desire for wanting it is inherently the lack of not having it. That's again, why with manifestation, when you have the energy of, I know that I am giving thanks that I've already received it. You've skipped right past the lack to the point where you've got it. And now it can start to come in. So we're just about closing out, but I, I just really wanted to share something I've been thinking about and I, I haven't done it yet, but I'm wondering, it's just kind of an inquisitive type of thing with myself is when people go to counseling, like when they say, oh, you know, my husband, this, and, oh, I'm so sad. I don't have that. Or my health is bad. I'm almost wondering what it would be like to have a counseling session. And you're only allowed to say what you want. Like, instead of saying my husband doesn't do this, what would it be like to say, oh my goodness, like when I get home from work, my husband gives me a big kiss and a big hug. And then, you know, we take a walk together and we giggle and we play and we laugh. Like, I'm wondering what that would be like instead of sending the energy out to the universe. I don't have, I, I want more of, you know, like the things that we might talk about with a a counselor, even with a girlfriend on the phone. And what would it be like instead is instead of like, when you're feeling bad about something, instead of going into the bad, going up into what you truly do want. Mm, Absolutely. That's so profound and so accurate. Every word we're sending out is a vibration. And we forget that. And we say, like, I can't tell you how many people, not clients don't tend to do this with me because I will nip it in the bud. But if I say to somebody who's a friend or I say to a family member, you know, you're talking about what you don't want. They're like, well, I'm just being realistic. People will say that all the time. But of course, real is basically what you've created up until now. And I like to say, if you want to have a different story tomorrow, you've got to change the story that you've written today. So it's like you're reading, you're reading yesterday's news story today. You wrote it yesterday. Now you're reading it today, recreating it for tomorrow. You want a different story tomorrow. You've got to write the different, the story differently today, because by the time you get around to reading it tomorrow, it's old news. And now you're recreating it again. So what you said is like, it's profound. You must in order to change it, you must talk about the thing that you desire and not the thing that you don't. And that is the desire snag right there. As we're ending the podcast, I want to make sure that you're able to give your, your free gift. But before we do that, let's send out to the universe, both of us, like, what do you really want next for yourself and pretend like it already happened. So you can say whatever you want because it already happened beautiful. She has this beautiful, big smile and she's in state. I just wanted to share with you because she went there. (laughs) Now she has this big grin and. (laughs) (sighs) Oh yeah. I see this. I do this visualization all the time for myself. Yes. I love it. I love it. Do I, you want me to tell it out loud? Yeah, sure. I want the universe to hear this. (laughs) I am doing yoga on my upper story balcony of my master bedroom suite overlooking the lake at my beautiful home. I can see the pool below as well and the jacuzzi. And I can see the lake with the trees behind it. And I'm just doing yoga and I'm so freaking grateful for my house, for my workspace in my home, for the beautiful space that I'm in that has enough room, more than enough room for everyone. And as I bring my hands into namaste, and complete my last sun salutation, I look across the lake and I feel the peace settling over my heart. (sighs) Oh, so gorgeous. Are we all there with her? I am. (laughs) Excellent. And you? Yes, thank you. So what I see myself doing is I'm sitting on the most beautiful corner property porch in Maui. I'm on the top floor and I'm overlooking the whole ocean. And while I'm sitting there in my morning meditation, when I open my eyes, I see a whale breach 
and I feel connected to it. I feel like it speaks to me. And the message it says, as you have arrived, my dear, all of your desires have already come true. And Mm. I thank it for coming to me and I bless it. And later that day, I go down into the water and I put my snorkel gear on. And as I'm swimming around in my ears, I hear the moms calling their baby whales. And who's swimming next to me is this wonderful, awesome man. And we just are so aligned that we just get excited just about our little snorkel each day. And our time has so much freedom to play and to enjoy the beach and to enjoy just being in the water on a daily basis. Our life every day fills my heart with so much joy as I help others and continue to manifest this great abundance in my life each and every day as I help others to heal their hearts and step into who they truly are. Thank you for giving that moment to me. Yeah, beautiful. I feel so connected right now. This is so cool. (laughs) We went on a whole trip in and of our, we went on a trip right now. (laughs) Right, we totally did. I love it. That's awesome. So I know you all want to know how to get in contact with Hallie and also, of course, you would want to get from her. So here it is, da, 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 the gift. <laughs> the gift is called Three Keys to Slay Your Inner Critic. And the purpose of this gift is designed to help you like still the voice in your head, whether that's your mom or your dad or whoever you would consider your inner critic is, whether it's something that, you know, is with you all day long or something that you just hear occasionally, it will allow you that free space in your head. And it's really fast. And people talk about like all the free time they have because that energy is no longer going to listening to that voice, tell them how wrong or bad they are. So three keys to slay your inner critic. And the easiest way to get that is just to go to my website, which is Hallie evelyn.com. I'm sure it's in the show notes. I'm going to spell it anyway. H-A-L-L-E. And then Evelyn is E-A-V like victory, E-L-Y-N like ninja, hallieevelyn.com. This has just been magical. No pun intended. (laughs) 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 But I just, I loved every part of this. So thank you for taking on uh, us on these magical journeys um, to Egypt and to Bali and teaching us the Balinesian way of prayer, as well as manifestation and the steps of manifestation. Any final words? I just so grateful to be here and I had a great time. Thank you so much, Candace. This was really a lot of fun. So thank you so much. Thank you for tuning into this episode. I hope that you feel more connected to your power within and that you take action from the guidance here today. For more information, please head to CandiceHaza.com where you will find more resources to help you and your business grow to the next level.